the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said to his worried friends, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be dismayed. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. <clears throat> Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. <clears throat> I have a question to ask you. I have a question to ask you, and it's a good one. But first, I want to reflect with you on the promise that Jesus makes to us this morning. It's good to reflect on Jesus' promises before we get around to our questions. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I will go and I will come again, and I will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. A promise not unlike the promise 
Peter makes in Jesus' name regarding another kind of house, the spiritual dwelling into which we are being built. St. Augustine, one of the great teachers of the church, brings these two, Peter's promise that we are being built, Jesus' promise that he will come again and take us to this dwelling in God's own love. Augustine brings them together and says, Jesus prepares the dwelling places by preparing those who will dwell in them. It's a remarkable promise, the promise of home. The promise of home after the long journey of life, the promise of home. This isn't the question I'm getting to, but I have to ask it. Where, where do you feel at home? Where do you feel at home these days? I hope you feel at home here among these people, around this table, in the presence of this word. But we need more than that for a sense of home. I grew up in Chicago and I have lived in New England more years than I lived in Chicago at this point in my life. It's a funny thing though, when I go back to Chicago, I still have a sense that I'm at home. Um, I walk through neighborhoods that I played in when I was a kid. Or I go to Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field, where the Chicago Cubs play. By the way, um, a group of archaeologists were working earlier in the 20th century at a site in northern Chicago looking for something. And they, they, they found it. They found the remnants of the Garden of Eden. And they built Wrigley Field around it in order to preserve that. When I go to Wrigley Field and I walk up the causeway and I see the green grass, I remember going to ball games with my grandfather, my other grandfather, my father, my sister. I remember friends going with me and sneaking into the bleachers through about the fourth inning and sitting out there in a ballpark that had maybe 5,000 fans in it because the Cubs were so terrible. It was a safe place in those days. It was home. It's corny, it's sentimental, I know, but oftentimes home is like that, isn't it? The sense of home. Jesus promises something much more than sentiment. He promises to take us home to the place God has destined for us and for this wondrous, wondrous miracle we call the cosmos. We are moving together toward something. We are moving together toward 
something which God promises to fill in God's own way, in God's own time, beyond anything we dare imagine, and not we alone, but the entire cosmos. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas interrupts Jesus, confessing ignorance about the place, the goal. He voices confusion about the way to that goal. And it is a mistake to mark Thomas down as merely obtuse. Thomas is the guy in the fourth gospel who asks the best questions from my point of view, well, maybe aside from Jesus. He gets to ask honest, hard, yeah, even skeptical questions. Thomas reminds us that it's no simple thing to make sense either of Jesus' goal or his way to that goal, what way must Jesus follow in order to pave the way home for us? So I like to give you presents, and I gave you a present in this morning's bulletin. And uh, this is the present. Take a look at this first page. The people of Chartres built a magnificent cathedral they dedicated to the honor of the Virgin Mary, oh, maybe in the 10th century. And one night in June of 1194, their cathedral burned to the ground. It, it completely burned up. Now, one of, their, one of their prized treasures in their cathedral was a relic. It was a relic that somehow had been acquired and stored in a crypt in the cathedral. It was, it was the veil that Mary wore while giving birth to Jesus. And we can ask good, hard, skeptical questions about relics too, but in their piety, this relic was a prized possession. And once the building, which was utterly destroyed, was cooled down enough for people to go in, one of the first things that was opened was the crypt, and the veil was intact, which the people of Chartres took as a sign that they were to rebuild. They took this as a sign that they were to rebuild, and they began immediately to do so, and by 1220, they had completed, or largely completed, the present cathedral of Chartres, also dedicated to Mary, Notre Dame. But they built something strange in that cathedral. The first time we think, or as scholars think, that such a feature had ever been built into a church building, they built this on the floor in the back of the nave. And you know what this is. It is a labyrinth. 
it is a labyrinth, right? This beautiful labyrinth. And no one knows exactly why they did it, but it became pretty popular in at least 14 other cathedrals in France during this time included this feature, this labyrinth on the floor. And by the, well, I think 1700s or so, French bishops were worried that this had too many pagan mythological associations with it, so they ordered them to be ripped out of all of the church floors. But the bishops of Chartres from that day to this have always said, no, 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 you can't touch our floor. It's still there. Now, flip this around. Flip the page around. And there you see something created in 2022 for Atlas Obscura by a Michigan-based artist named Michelle Bogus Nunley, who was into puzzle making. In fact, she's the Guinness World Record holder for the largest maze ever built. It's 1,500 feet long, <laughs> largest paper maze ever constructed. Um, so she, she created this for Atlas Obscura, this cool maze. If you, if you Google her name and Atlas Obscura, you'll find this maze, and the PDF is actually interactive on the website, and you can go there and um, find lots of interesting things. Now, at some point along the way, labyrinths and mazes came to be understood in different ways. A labyrinth is a single, it's a, a, a uniroute una kind of, of walk. You enter the labyrinth, and once you enter the labyrinth and begin to walk it, as long as you continue to walk, you will get to the center unfailingly. You will not get lost. You will get to the center. If you walk this lab, the circumference of this labyrinth is 131 feet. So if you walk this labyrinth in a slow way, it's going to take you quite a little while, actually, to, to get to the center. But you will get there. A maze is very different. A maze is very different because there are all kinds of tricksy paths that take you into places that prove to be dead ends. And in fact, depending on the skill of the maze maker, a maze can be exceedingly difficult to get through. Um, Michelle writes that she likes to think about someone who might try to solve one of her mazes. And as she thinks about someone who's trying to solve her mazes, she designs it in order to thwart them. So here's the question. On this fine morning in May, which of these two, the labyrinth or the maze, better describes how you experience life right now? Hmm? Does your life feel like a labyrinth with its single long pathway leading you without fail to the center? Or does your life feel more like a tricksy maze, a dangerous place 
with confusing pathways and too many choices, too many choices about direction, most of which are dead ends. Do you trust that your life is going somewhere, somewhere good, or do you fear that your future is entirely a matter of the decisions and choices, some of which seem good and some of which prove to be terrible. Your future is entirely a matter of those choices, decisions, chance, random occurrences. Or, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, does your life feel like a labyrinth and all the other days of the week feel like a maze? I am the true and living way, says Jesus. I am the true and living way. Jesus promises with his cross and wounds, this Jesus, with his cross and wounds, not some sanitized, spiritualized, supremely powerful Jesus, he promises to bring us home. The path he travels is a strange one to the goal. His way is paved not with stone, but with wood. Yeah. Not only does his way lead to the cross, his, his way is cruciform from the very beginning. His entire way is marked by the cross. And that means it is defined by God's mysterious purpose and love. He coaxes us up onto this path. And in his company, as we dare to walk with him, the human journey becomes a form of intentional, compassionate travel, a pilgrimage toward holiness, toward God toward the neighbor, toward real life. It's true that our experience of life moves back and forth. We don't always have the sense that we're going somewhere. Sometimes we do. And as you have questions in your life about where your path is taking you, one, one question that you might reflect on is something like this. You could wake up in the morning and ask, how has your path been leading you ever more deeply into the community around you? Has your path been taking you into real connection with your neighbor? And not only the neighbors who are easy to like. Is your path taking you into connection with people you find very difficult to love? If so, I take that as a symptom, a symptom of your trust in God. The path we walk with Jesus is also paved in wood. It is also a road built by the one whose love seems mysterious and is hidden in ways we can't understand and yet is present for us, a path that takes us 
inexorably into the needs as well as the strengths of our neighbors. Friends, let not your hearts be troubled. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.